Hey, you know what? Today we're going to finish up this teaching series in the book of Nehemiah. So like in chapter 1 and 2, Nehemiah has his broken heart for uh, rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. Now, the, the walls in Jerusalem, like Zach was talking about earlier, over the past few weeks we've talked about Jericho and we've talked about Jerusalem, two radically different places. At, at Jericho, the walls fell down. In Jerusalem, the walls were built up. All right, now the wall around Jerusalem has this picture that we are coming into the safety of God. Now watch this, because in chapters 1 and 2, Nehemiah doesn't live there. He lives in another world, and he's a cupbearer to the king. So he's got soft hands, manicured fingernails, he's got all that going on. But God breaks his heart to build a wall. Now he's not a wall builder, he's not a contractor, but what happens through that broken heart, he starts praying about it. And he starts praying this way, God, I'm so sorry that I haven't followed your way and your will in my life. I'm so sorry. So God takes that, and all of a sudden he takes this, this vision that God has, has given Nehemiah to rebuild the walls, and he's heard the prayer of Nehemiah who started with, I'm so sorry. And then by about chapter 3, God brings folks around to help him build the wall, and, and all of a sudden something is happening, and the walls are being rebuilt. And inside of, of that story, in chapter 4, the people in the church start griping about him. Just a reminder to all of us, anytime we attempt to do something for the cause of Christ, you're going to face opposition. You are going to find critics. And as a matter of fact, if you're not finding criticism in what you're doing, it's possible you're not doing anything. I mean, the fastest way to not be critiqued is don't do anything, don't say anything, and don't attempt anything. Because if, if, if you try anything, there's always a good-sized group of Eeyores in the room. Right? I mean, everywhere you look, like, I'm going to rebuild a wall. You can't do it. Well, I, we're going to bring people, and God's people are going to show up. We're going to rebuild the wall. They don't know what they're doing. But those are what come from inside the church. Now, they were fighting battles. Nehemiah's fighting, fighting battles all the way through chapter 6 and 7. And then in chapter 8, this dude by the name of Ezra opens up the book of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All right? It's Mosaic law. This is, this is the do's and don'ts of the law. 600 and something rules that you got to keep. I can't even keep on, a, on the right plane, love God with all my heart, mind, and soul, and love others as I love myself. I can't even do those. You add 600 more, and I'm totally messed up. And so I look at this, and I think, when he opens the book of the law, what happens? Well, watch this. The people of, of, of Jerusalem, the people of Israel, they're coming back to Jerusalem. And they're coming back from having been enslaved by the Babylonians for a couple decades. And so they're coming back, and all of a sudden they realize they're free, but they're not, what, they're not really sure what to do with their freedom. And so Ezra opens up the book, and he starts reading. And in chapter 8, we start finding out that Ezra and Nehemiah have the same message for the people coming back home. Here's what he says. Make sure you understand that you can do anything when you rest in the joy of the Lord, for it is your strength. So last Sunday night, Jenny and I are talking, and she says, you know, Chuck, when you blow through that concept of the joy of the Lord is your strength, nobody knows what that means. She said, I sat there, and I have no idea. All these years as a believer, what in the world is the joy of the Lord, and how is that how I live, and that's my strength. So I started digging a little bit more this week, and I came to this really simplistic version that I could understand, so I knew you guys could. If, I mean, if I get it, y'all could certainly get it. And it, it looked like this. So uh, 
How many of you, when you were a kid, you would run and jump into a chair or a bed? Anybody do that? Okay, so, like, I'm a little boy, man. It's like, I love football like nobody's business. So my way to go to bed as a kid was I put on a football helmet, you know, and it was like the old New England Patriot one. You know, I, I was living in my early day, early childhood in Rhode Island, so I didn't have a chance. You know, I had to be a Red Sox fan. I had to be a Patriots fan. And this is when they were awful right? But it had the, the Minuteman, you know, with the football on it. I put that helmet on and I would run down the hall as fast as I could. My room was at the end of the hall and I would run as fast as I could. And I knew at about seven, what the thing to do is plant your foot, your right foot down, make a hard cut to the left because there was a defender there called a wall. And I would plant my foot and head to the left in about four feet from my bed. It was like, yeah, and I crashed. And my mom would come and said, please stop doing that. Mom, though, I got it over the goal line. And she's like, go to bed, son, just go to bed. But I remember thinking what it was like, how cool that was. So I thought, I wonder if I could still do that. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing about that, but truly, I thought I could still do this. So our bedroom, I can run from Samantha's room all the way across the top. And when I got about four feet from our bed, now Jenny's already in it, so I gotta go over her. <laughs> I don't tell her this is coming. I'm a little bigger than I was in. I took a leap and I landed on her legs. It was not an interesting evening, it was a horrible night. Because she asked the same thing my mom said. What are you doing and why didn't you just get in bed? Because I thought I could still do it, Jen. Well, you can't. I see the joy of the Lord as being able to take a flying leap into the arms of our creator and he grabs hold of us and you're perfectly, totally safe and you got to cross the goal line. And then I want to stay there because in those arms, I experience the joy of the Lord who has caught me and rescued me and has a plan for me to score in life. Come on, is that not good? And so I can remember as a kid making that flying leap. And, and I believe the Lord wants us to do that. I believe he wants us to rest in the joy that is his and feel his presence to the degree that we know it's strength, right? And so that's the, that's the entire picture for today's teaching in chapters 9 and 10. Now, to put this perfectly, the, uh, the people of Israel who have been in captivity they have, they have left alone the laws of God. They have totally blown them off. And here they are coming back to Jerusalem. And the problem is you could say, well, they were in captivity, so they couldn't fall, follow the laws of God. But that's not true. They could have easily followed the laws of God. They just used to use captivity as a reason not to. Just like we do. Like, but Chuck, I don't have time to read the Bible. But Chuck, I don't have time to, to be grateful. Well, Chuck, I, I can't remember to listen to podcasts. What? We still do the same thing. As a matter of fact, I find it interesting that we follow the life of the people of Israel almost to a T. After all these years of human development, we're still struggling to not live like the people of Israel, and yet we do. So we've had this people, and the reason they've been in captivity is they didn't follow the rule of God. God said, this is what you do, and when you don't do that, we're in trouble. Now, I love the fact that our God, I believe, gives us the ability to run as fast and as hard as we want, and he gives us a lot of room. I believe it's a massive thoroughfare, 
And over here on the right, there is the law. These are, this is a guardrail that says, you know, there's some things you don't do. Don't murder people. Okay, we got that one. You know, okay, don't covet. Okay, well, I'm not doing that one real well. But we got these things over here that, that God says, don't do that. Because when, when you get outside of that guardrail, you, do, you don't get to experience my joy. You don't get to experience that I am your strength. You're, 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 you're totally out of, the, out of the street. Now, on this side, you've got a guardrail that we'll call grace. And sometimes we get running pretty fast. We go around some folks, and we keep moving to the left, and then we bump up against grace. And grace will always send you back over here in the middle of the road. And grace is like this. You know, I don't deserve you to salvage me. I should go into this gully. But grace says, you know, I'm going to gently bump you back over here and let you keep running. You see, we don't want to get across on this side, and we don't want to get off on that side. We want to stay in the middle of this to know that grace is essential, but law is destiny. We've got to deal with both of these. And so the people of Israel are struggling with this. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it gives you this understanding of what they're about to do. Because what's happening here is that people are experiencing revival. How many of you remember when you were kids going to like a week-long or even a two-week-long revival or a camp meeting? Anybody did all that? Yeah, yeah, a lot of us did, right? I hated those things. I hated them with a passion because I would go to church every night for like a week. And half the time, my dad was the preacher. And when he wasn't, it was even worse. I mean, because I could not walk away. Because you remember when we did the invitations for those old things? The invitation was 40 minutes. And if nobody moved, it might have been an hour. You know, it was just one of those deals. Well, revival is not that. Revival is not something we go to. Revival is what's happened within us. So take a look in chapter 9 in the book of Nehemiah. And it says, on October 31, the people returned for another observance. This time they fasted and dressed in sackcloth and sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all the foreigners that they, as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. And the book of the law of the Lord their God was read out loud to them for about three hours. Then for three more hours, they took turns confessing their sins and worshiping the Lord their God. Now, let's just stop and say, if I get, get to about an hour and 20 minutes, y'all are in a massive bailout. They heard Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy for three hours. And then for three more hours, people stood up and started confessing their sins. So some dude over on this side stands up and says, I got to confess, I've been having an affair with that lady. And the whole room's like, yikes. And then somebody stands over here and says, you know, I want to confess. I'm the person that cut the tires on that lady's car because she's mean. And then it got interesting. Well, let me tell you, I really, when my neighbor got that car, I was the one who, well, let's just leave it there. They had these open confession scenes. When you were growing up as a kid, I remember when the pastor was never prepared, what he did was he said, tonight's going to be a time where you can share your testimony. You remember those nights? That was because he never prepared anything. And so you'd have, have people stand up, and they told you everything from, well, I was born in Akron, and then when I was three, and, and it just kept on going. So about 40 minutes, just one person went on, right? That was testimony. And you look at that and say, okay, I'm pretty sure God went in that. These people started having this time of revival. The book of the law was read, and it led them to repentance. It re led them to this thought of, wait a minute, we're not following God's land. So when we don't follow his plan, then we need something. When we rest in Christ, 
It is because we've let his word saturate us to the bone. You see, there was a revival taking place because the word of God had gotten into the hearts of men and women. This is what caused a revival. This is what caused that to happen. Hebrews 4.12 talks about the word of God and how that would happen. It sounds like this. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it really says this, that there we are lying on a surgical table and God's word comes in and it's like a scalpel that opens up our heart so that it can do the necessary surgery to make us healthy again, right? And so you get this picture and it's confirmed by the writer of Hebrews and over in chapter nine, it deals with the years and events that led them to this time of revival in Jerusalem. Now, keep this in mind, the writer of Hebrews also says in chapter 13, verse eight, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And with those principles that brought revival in Nehemiah's time, it will bring revival in ours. If you're looking for your home, your marriage, your own life to get on this solid plane where you can experience joy, fulfillment, and contentment, that at some time you will have to do what the people were doing there, where you've got to have a time with God to allow his word to get into your heart and perform the necessary surgery. I'll guarantee you, uh, if you ever have a heart cath, I had one a couple of years ago, and you can literally lay on this little table that's really cold, and you can look up at the screen and you can see your heart and how it's happening. And it's fascinating to do all that, but it would be really fascinating if it were your own heart you were looking at. Because when you see it and there's a problem, you know what they tell you on the front end? They told me going into the heart cath, if we see a blockage, we're just gonna do it right now. You see, when it's a matter of the heart, it's a big deal. And what's happening to the people here is they were having a revival of their heart. See, they, they had heard the law, and out of the law, they found this sense of, I need to return to goodness. I need to return to being aware of few things. So here's a few steps that I think we need to follow, like the people did in the book of Nehemiah. Step number one, I believe we, we, we need to be about acknowledging the goodness of God. We need to be about acknowledging the goodness of God. One of the things that we heard about that last song was, do it again, Lord, do it again, Lord, do it again. I believe that song points us to this picture, that in the olden days when we knew the stories of Abraham, when we knew the story of David and Goliath, when we knew the story of Jonah and the whale, when we knew all those, when we knew the story about Paul, and we read about the story of the Gospels of Jesus, what is it we're to remember? We are to remember that the goodness of God is still here today. The same God that provided a way for them to escape Pharaoh is the same God today that wants to provide an escape for you. That same God who said to them, here's the guardrails, says to you, here's the guardrails. And he doesn't put you inside of that so he can lock you down. He puts you inside of that so you can run as fast as you can. He wants to turn you loose in freedom. These folks were finding freedom from where they had been captives and we should find freedom. And you say, but Chuck, I don't really understand what kind of freedom am I looking for? Well, back to chapter nine, let's start in verse six. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve and give life to everything. And all the angels of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him from Ur of the Chaldeans and renamed him Abram. 
When he had proved himself faithful, you made a covenant with him to give him and his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. They sound like they ought to be beaten up. Uh, And you have done what you promised, for you are always true to your word. You saw the sufferings and sorrows of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea, and you displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his servants, and all of his people. For you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians were treating them. You have a glorious reputation that you have never that you have never been forgotten. You divided the sea for your people so they could walk through on dry land, and they hurled their your their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the mighty waters. You led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud following following by day a pillar of fire. I got that totally messed up. Verse 12. You led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they could find their way. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and instructions that were just and laws and commands that were true. You instructed them concerning the laws of your holy Sabbath, and you commanded them through Moses, your servant, to obey all the commands, laws, and instructions. You gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry and water from the rock when they were thirsty. You commanded them to go and take possession of the land you had sworn to give them. The first recognition is what they did. They offered praise for what he is. They offered praise for whom he is. They offered praise for him keeping his covenant with them, and they offered praise for his deliverance from evil people. And they praised him for his tender guidance through this time. I don't know about you, but I could use a little tender guidance this week, couldn't you? I could use a little bit of that. And over in Nehemiah, in verse 30 and 31, listen to what the scripture has to say there. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who through the prophets warned them about their sins, but still, They wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the pagan, listen to this, inhabitants of the Lord to conquer them. But in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. Is this not beautiful? That when we have totally messed up our life, when we've totally walked outside of the parameters that God has given us, when we're not living inside the wall of his hope and his goodness, we have totally forgot the goodness of God. When we are at our worst, it always starts with we've forgotten how good God is to us. It is the sense that I can do anything I want on my own and I don't need God. Frankly, it is much more difficult when the economy's good and you got a job and you got money, it's really good to forget God. But we tend to always find him when we've lost the job, got a bad diagnosis, or the economy's lousy. And we seem at that point that our country turns to God. And this is exactly what the people of Israel did. They rode a roller coaster where it was a constant, I, I love God, I've forgotten about God. I love God, I've forgotten about God. Doesn't that sound like me and you? Isn't that how our life typically runs? I love God, but you know what? I think I'm going to break off and I'm going to go outside the guardrail. I'm going to go outside the wall. They acknowledged that his love was undeserved. These people recognized they didn't deserve God's love, and yet there it was. I think that's one of the greatest things for us to learn. You can't do anything that God doesn't still love you. You can't make him not love you. He has created you, given you life, and he's created you for worship to him. 
He's created you to worship together. He's created you and brought you together in his church. And we start with acknowledging the goodness of God. Now, we move from that and we recognize that chapter 9 deals with the years and the events that led to the revival happening in Jerusalem. Remember, revival is not an event we go to. Revival is what happens in our heart when we truly rest in the joy of the Lord as our strength. Revival happens inside of us, not around us. Revival happens when we get God's word into our heart and we place him at the highest priority. And when that happens, then we have accomplished what God's desire is for our life. They acknowledge that the love was undeserved. In, uh, in verse 16, it says, but our ancestors were a proud and stubborn lot and they refused to obey your commands. Well, by the way, they had two, but they were learning from their past. I believe there's a lot of that you and I can do. Like some of you are parents of kids that are just now hitting like ninth grade and the world you think is falling apart. I just want to give you this encouragement. Buckle up. You've got a long way to go. But here's the good news. If you can follow God's plan for how you're to lead that kid, which always involves you staying within the walls, you staying within the guardrails, then you will have the opportunity to extend grace to that kid while he or she are under your roof. So don't freak out yet. Acknowledge God's goodness and acknowledge that that kid, no matter how difficult they are, they are a gift to you, especially when you think, I'm going to kill my kid. They acknowledge that the love was undeserved. And, and I think to myself, we, how do we get to a point of revival? How, how do I as an individual get to that point where my heart, my soul can rest in this goodness? Well, here's what happened. They heard the word of the law and they repented. You say, well, there had to be something more. No. So I would say, if you want that in your life today, the goal is then I'm going to get the word of God in my life and I'm going to repent. So one of the things I'm going to ask you this week is, will you listen to the podcast the next five days? You'll get a piece of scripture, a short commentary, and for five minutes, you can get the word of the Lord in your heart. Now that's for all of you that do not read the Bible. All right. Those of you who already read the Bible, then here's my encouragement read through chapter 9 and 10 and see every time that you can be blessed where you turn back to living in the walls. And then say, God, I, I'm going to follow your path. Would you let me see your hand at work? This past week, I've asked God to do some extraordinary things around this church and in my family. And you know what I've found? There are about three of them that this week the Lord did something that only he could do. And you know what I thought to myself? I love my God because he can do anything. And you know what's interesting? He can even do anything in this messed up life, my messed up life. I can be the most prideful, stubborn human on the planet. And God says, but you know, Chuck, as, as big a jerk as you can be, I love you. And when you walk and you run inside of those guardrails and inside the walls, I got you. And, and I'm going to soften your heart and I'm going to turn you into a good pastor, even if it kills you. We're going to do this. Secondly, I think we ought to have an awareness of our sinful state. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You know, when you get outside the wall, sin entangles and sin enslaves. It will, it will cost you more than you ever desired to pay. And you'll have to pay far more than you ever imagined you would. So I, I want to give you this thought. My, when we let the word of God get into our heart, 
and we put him at the right priority, what will happen is the word of God will start separating sin from righteousness in a hurry. That was my alarm. Tell me I'm, time, I'm, I'm supposed to be done. <laughs> We're close. Ish. Things like envy and jealousy and greed and gossip and, and wanting what God doesn't provide makes a slave. We always think it's the big ones. Well, you know, on that one, you know, Chuck, yeah. He was definitely outside the line. Well, what about that gossip you received this week and you held on and you used it like a weapon against somebody? What about when you shared that because you knew you, you, you needed to be in the know? Or what, what about well, the time you looked at your neighbor and thought, man, if I don't have a car like that guy, I know that dude doesn't make more money than me. What's up? I think it's some of those little ones that, that come back and bite us. In, in 1 John 1, 9, it says this, if we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our heart. Oh, my stars. That would lead me to step three about having a broken heart. I love how the people stood and they confessed their sins, but I would say to you, you get to stand before Jesus and confess yours. You, need, you can stand before Jesus. They didn't have him yet. You, you could stand before him. But listen, the old counseling word is true. Nothing changes until something changes. You have to choose to let God's word get inside of you if you want the blessing and the benefit of walking and resting in the joy of the Lord. You can't experience that until you get him inside of you and it is active. When we let the spirit of God get active, he will do what only he can do. But you got to get him in. You got to let his word saturate your heart. The Bible says it is like a two-edged sword. It's sharpen that. It'll cut between marrow and bone. Let the word do what it's there to do. And step number four, the return of obedience. What happened here is in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 29, the people restored their family altar as well as their social life. See, here's what happened. They let the word of God get in their life and they were repentant. And so they, they cried out to God, forgive us. And when God forgives them, then all of a sudden we, they get to be in the presence and the joy of the Lord. And in that, they're experiencing freedom again, further away from captivity, more in the hands of God. And as they're doing that, they're saying, I now want to obey you because when I obey you, then I find that my life is so much better. You're not, you're not void from sin and you're not void from stuff that's going to be challenging in your life or even problematic. But what you do know is I can walk and I can live in the joy of the Lord. These folks committed themselves to knowing, understanding, and doing the will of God in their homes and in their neighborhoods. This is what God's called us to. This is what God invites us to. Nehemiah gives us these two things, especially in, in chapters 9 and 10. Faithfulness and stewardship and faithfulness and worship will keep you between the guardrails and inside the walls. Wait a minute, Chuck. You, you, there you go, using that word stewardship, and I don't know what that means. So when, when a Jewish man became 20 years old, he had to give an offering to the, to the temple. And then on top of that, they were required to give 10% of first fruit offering, no matter who, to, to the temple. But you see, in captivity, they stopped doing that. They, they stopped giving. And God said, you know, I taught you better. And then they, they stopped worshiping. They, they decided that, wait a minute, this thing, this idea of corporate worship, has no, there's no need of that in my life. I'm pretty good. 
When they stopped giving and stopped worshiping, God took his hand off their life and they experienced what it's like to be in captivity. Nehemiah chapter 10, down in verses 35 through 37, it gives us a picture where Nehemiah reinstated all of those rules that said, give sacrificially. What you learn about King David is he says this when he's the king, I will not give anything that doesn't cost me something. Nehemiah is saying, do this. And it affected their worship when they chose to become obedient. Their worship became unbelievably powerful. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39, it says, we promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. Don't, don't neglect the church. Make sure that this is a central part of your life. And I, we're, not, we're not away from every challenge. I mean, we're re really normal people in here. We're going to do stupid stuff. But you know what I found? That people who are committed to the Lord in, in their checkbook and committed to the Lord in their worship, I promise you, they've got a far greater opportunity to walk in the blessing of the Lord. It's just up to us. It's up to you. It's up to me. The Hebrew word for neglect that Ezra used here is like to fall out or totally leave. And I look at this and I think, wait a minute, I want to acknowledge the goodness of God. Well, every song we sang was about acknowledging the goodness of God. Did you join us in that? Number two, are we aware of our sinful state? Are we, or do we recognize that I'm a sinful man, I'm a sinful woman, I'm not perfect, and I need the presence of God, and I need to count on the joy of the Lord because I want to recognize I'm a sinful human. Third, do I have a broken heart for anything? Most importantly, do I have a broken heart for my own sin? God, I'm so sorry. God, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. This is what I've done, and this is what I've done, and this is what I've done. And the Lord looks down, and he kind of switches your face together like this. And he says, but I still love you. Let's not do that anymore. Remember the lady that was caught in adultery, and they're ready to stone her, right? And, and Jesus comes over, and he, he tells those guys, he said, hey, if you've never sinned, then go ahead and throw the first rock. And they all drop them, and they walk away, right? And Jesus writes in the sand. We don't know what Jesus wrote in the sand. I have pretty, in my mind, it sounded like this. Watch this, right? Because I think Jesus had a, had a sense of humor. I think he wrote down that, watch this. I'm going to blow your mind. And he says this to those dudes. But do you know what he says after that? He says to her, go and sin no more. Now, watch this. He didn't say, go and never, ever sin. He said, don't go this one anymore. Learn this. Don't go, don't learn your lesson. Go do this. And then fourth, to return to our obedience, to have a fresh commitment to be faithful and obedient. So would you do me a favor as we wrap up today? There's a guest card in the seat back in front of you. And it's a little blue and white card. It's what we ask guests to fill out. Uh, if you're a guest, fill it out. That'd be great. In a minute, drop it in the offering basket. But I want you to, while we prepare to end our time of worship day, I want, want you to do a little search like Bobby did when, we, when he led us in communion. Would you, would you do a little search inside your own heart and ask the Lord to search your heart? That you might find out, wait a minute, this, this hidden sin, I want to lay it down this week. This ongoing sin, I, I want to lay it down this week. Would you write down that one thing you got to let go? Maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's bitterness, whatever it is. You say, well, Chuck, that's kind of private. I know, I, I don't want you to give it back to me. I don't want you to give it to an usher. I want you to take it home. When you get in your car, I want you to see it. When, when you open the fridge, I want you to see it. When you go to make your coffee every morning, I want you to see it. To remind you, this is the thing that I, I'm going to, I'm going to covenant with God. I'm going to lay this down. 
And by God's power and by the grace of Christ, they're going to help me lay this down. And this week, I'm going to walk in the joy of the Lord because he is my strength. And in that strength and that strength alone, I'm going to lay this down. What is that one thing? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are a faithful, wondrous, awesome God. And you have called us to be aware of your goodness. You've called us to be aware of our sinfulness. You've called us to have this wonderful, merciful look at this life. And you've called us to return, to be obedient to you. God, let these folks in this room, let these folks watching online, God, would you remind us today that you have reached out to us and knocked on our door that you might come in and take residence, that we might be able to rest in the joy of the Lord and it is your strength that we count on. Would you forgive us? We have fallen so short of your desire for our life. With heads bowed, with eyes closed, if today you'd say, Chuck, I want to call on the name of Jesus like the Bible says, and I want you to count me in that because I want all that Jesus has. If that's the desire for your heart, just slip your hand up so I can see you. If you say today, I want that, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah, amen. That's what I want. Then God, would you deliver into these folks' life and be your overwhelming presence, your goodness, and let them return to obedience. Let this week be a reminder to drop that sin and walk away from it in your power. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Last week, last hour, I forgot the offering, and they had this big flashing yellow sign back there that said, offering, offering. So I'm not going to forget now. Come on, let's take up our offering. While these folks come, uh, I encourage you, don't walk out the back door and forget. Just go ahead and give. Then you can walk out the back door. Uh, the Lord's done some crazy imagined stuff around here. Uh, last Sunday, you'll, if you were here, you know, at the end of both services, I asked folks to stand up. If they want to give their life to Christ, stand up. And uh, a 94-year-old woman gave her life to Christ in this hour last week. Come on, is that cool or what? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, well, let's just never grow weary in doing good. You know, I believe the Lord's hands on our church. Let's don't do, some, do something to mess it up. Would you give joyfully? Would you give generously? Lord, thank you for the time to return to you what is already yours. And Lord, would you, uh, would you multiply these offerings in the basket of the bank for your glory and your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to remind you, if you haven't already gotten your uh, uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes, please do. We need to have those things in this week, if at all possible. And it would help us hugely. If you haven't signed up for the, uh, for we have the uh, processing party, please do that. You can do it online. If you've never, ever dropped down and gotten the Sugar Hill Church app, please do that. You can just go to the, the app store or go over to Google Play and just search Sugar Hill Church. That app will come up, download it for free. And we'll feed you all of those uh, things that you have for the weekday podcast every single day. Uh, many of you participated. Matter of fact, we saw hundreds and hundreds of you participated in the Daily Aha this past week. And uh, we'll bring that back in October and help you go through the month of October with that as well. And I just want to tell you how, how grateful I am for you guys. What a wonderful church. And I'm, I'm blessed by you. I'm, I'm thrilled that you let me be your pastor. Thank you for that. So as you leave today, let the Jesus we spoke of go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight. Let the Jesus we talked about 
Let him go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment. He is always good, friend, and you are always loved. And let him come behind you in days that are difficult and dark and pick you up and carry you through the middle of the problem only to set you down victoriously on your two feet, wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap his loving arms around you so that you can hear your Savior say, my child, say it with me, I love you. God bless you, friend. Go in peace.